Black True Crime is a podcast that researches and discusses murders committed by Black offenders. It is a podcast that everyone and anyone is welcome to enjoy, but it's also a podcast that may not be welcomed by anyone and everyone. So listener discretion is advised. Now, without further ado, this is Black True Crime. Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome back. This is Kayla, if this is your first time here. Um, I miss you. Let me just start with that. I haven't just been gone for three months for no reason. I have been <laughs> thinking about the next steps for the podcast, what we're going to be doing, how we're going to be expanding, and all that good stuff. So, yeah. Thank you guys for being patient with me. Thank you guys for riding this out with me as long as you have. My 228 faithful Instagram followers. Hey, hey. And everybody that listens on here. Love you guys. Thank you. Oh, speaking of the podcast and how long we've all been hanging out together, today is our one-year anniversary. Yes, I'm excited. So I was like, you know what? I have to put an episode out. Like, I have to. So here I am. <laughs> After this, I do plan on being more consistent with putting out the content as well as giving you guys different avenues to view and listen to this content. So yeah, let's give you like a little sneak peek into what's coming. And oh, did you notice the difference in the intro? Yeah, I decided to change things up a little bit because I was looking at some of the reviews and I'm kind of tired of like seeing people complain about, oh, she's she laughs, <laughs> you know, or she... She seems like she has too much of a good time talking about murder. Well, sorry to like break it to you. I'm not here to cry and, you know, be sad the entire time. I'm here to talk, to comment, to have a conversation, to enjoy myself. And that's what I'm doing. Hopefully you're enjoying yourself with me. If you're not, you probably shouldn't even be here at all. So, yeah. Alrighty. I've already taken up like, what, two minutes of your time. Let's get into this new episode. I'm really, really excited. I hope you are too. So let's do it. Between 2001 and 2006, a six foot four, 245 pound predator was brutally assaulting and murdering black women on the late night streets of Detroit, Michigan. Join us as we discuss the destructive, dangerous, and deadly dickhead known as Shelly Brooks. So Se Shelly Andre Brooks was born on January 22nd, 1969. I don't know the exact city, but I know it was somewhere around the Detroit, Michigan metro area. Apparently from a very young age, Shelly was in an unsafe environment. His mother was a drug addict. Um, I think she was also a prostitute. So she would you know, do a lot of strange things to fuel her drug habit. And according to prosecutors later, Shelley was also abused during his childhood. So that's very, very sad. I'm not exactly sure what type of abuse it was, if it was afflicted by his mother or just other adults in his life. But I did read that he was abused as a child. So at the age of 14, Shelley's mother moved out of their home on Garland Street to go move in with her boyfriend. And... She basically left Shelly with her mother to be raised. So, yeah, 
abandonment issues real early. I also read that since his mom was on drugs the entire time he was a child, it really, really affected him. I guess just in the way of anger and just being more aggressive as a child. In the late 1980s, Brooks was in 11th grade and he decided to just drop out of school. No need for me to be here. I'm just going to leave. And around this time, he started carrying a gun. Now, when you're 11th grade, that's probably around like maybe 16, 17, 18, depending on what the fuck you've been doing. Yeah, so he got in trouble for concealing this gun and carrying it, and he had to serve some time in jail. So he served 60 days, and then after he was released, he just started living on the street. So mind you, he's like pretty young at this point, you know, living on the street and just trying to make it, I guess. He really didn't have a support system. I think this is around the time that his grandmother passed. I couldn't find a lot of dates or like definitive information about him or his family. You guys, I can't even find if he had siblings. I mean, somewhere I read that he had, or his brother-in-law commented about something that was in the paper, but I don't even know if he has siblings. It's very, very, hard to find information about this man not only this man but these cases you guys but you'll find that out a little bit later so brooks wasn't just sitting on his hands um he got a few jobs you know he tried at least he was working at some fast food restaurants he worked at a laundromat for a little while but he was never able to keep these jobs for very long because he could just he just couldn't get along with his co-workers <laughs> i mean one place i read that he had so much issues with his co-workers mainly because they were teasing him like they were teasing him for being homeless and stuff like that which is why he had to be let go which i think is like kind of shitty because one you knew i was homeless when you hired me and two why am i getting fired because i'm homeless and these trash bag people are making fun of me i don't i can't support that so because he couldn't really hold down a job he was just living on the street i mean making ends meet how he could so because he couldn't really hold down a job for too long, um, Brooks was just living on the street. And he didn't really feel any shame about that. Um, I read in multiple places that he was actually proud of living on the streets and being able to do so for so long. He scavenged for empty bottles to, I guess, sell them maybe for money. And then he would come across a lot of women in the same predicament who were said to be seen often begging for cigarettes, in the same area as him and just, you know, trying to hustle, trying to make ends meet just like him. And unfortunately, this is how he would meet a lot of his future victims. So I do want to mention that sometime um, in his life, Shelly was shot in the chest. <laughs> like, let me just, yeah, I was like, I don't know really where I could fit this in because it's not stated how long ago this could have happened when this happened, but it is known that he shot, he, he got shot in the chest at some point in his life. Um, I saw it on his offender tracking information page on the Michigan State Department of Corrections website. You can go on there and look at it yourself if you like to too. And it does say that he has a gunshot wound to the chest, which is fucking insane. It just shows how much <laughs> went on in this man's life and we just have no fucking idea. Now, that was the shortest background section I feel I've ever done on this show when it comes to uh, one of the killers. But there was literally nothing about this man on the internet. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And I know this was kind of back in the day. 
this happened, you know, 2000, stuff like that. And there wasn't really social media. But I mean, you would think that there'd be more pictures for God's sakes. So, yeah. Sorry. It's like, yeah, <laughs> it's a little scamped this week. So officially, Brooks started killing in the summer of 2001. Yep, we're just going to jump right into it. On August 31st, 2001, the body of a Miss Sandra Davis was found at 19, I'm sorry, 9700 St. Paul in Detroit, Michigan. And at this time, it was in like an abandoned building. She had been bludgeoned repeatedly in the head and then dragged into a closet where she was left to die. She was only 53 when she died. Five months later, on January 22nd, 2002, a man was tasked to clean up some asbestos in an old building on St. Paul when he stumbled upon the body of Miss Pamela Greer. I read that she was missing part of her right leg, um, not because her killer did anything with it, but because a stray dog had eaten it. So yeah, she'd probably been there for a little while. Not only was she found in the same condition as Sandra Davis, which is bludgeoned to death, stuffed in a secluded pocket of the building, but she was found in the same exact building as Sandra Davis. Pamela was only 33 years old when she died. Three months later, on April 14, 2002, a Miss Marion Woods Daniels was found near 4904 Crane Street in an alley. Her head was brutally smashed in with a brick and she was only 36 years old when she died. I mean, this is just like brutal. This is really, really brutal. Only eight days later, on April 22nd, the body of Miss Rhonda Miles was found in an abandoned building at 1382 Menestique. She had been beaten to death too, with the leg of a wooden chair this time, you guys. So we had a brick, um, another brick, and then now we have a wooden chair leg she was only 45 years old when she died so as you guys can see he's getting more ballsy okay he is waiting shorter amounts of time between his kills and he does not look like he is going to be slowing down anytime soon well just a month after Rhonda's body was found the police ticketed brooks for entering a building without permission so i don't know if this was like an empty building or um uh, someone's apartment building, I'm not entirely sure, but he was trying to enter it without proper permissions. So they gave him a citation, and that was it. After that little run-in with police, it seems like Brooks kind of started feeling the heat on the back of his neck a little bit. So he was like, mm, maybe I should slow down. And he slowed down so much that he actually didn't kill anyone for about six months. On November 5th, 2002, the body of Miss Thelma Johnson was found at Mac and Holcomb. She had also been beaten to death. And she was only 30 years old when she died, you guys. 30 years old. Like, what is, what is... She was a spring chicken. Poor Thelma. So now, as you can see... It's been over the span of like a year or two and women are dying, okay? They're dying on the street, not from natural causes, not from overdoses, but from being bashed in the fucking head. 
So people are starting to notice. This activist named Klein, I couldn't find like any information about him or any more than just Klein. Um, he started to notice and he started to bring more attention to it. So he put up signs, he put up flyers. He was just trying to urge the community to be more aware of their surroundings, of what's going on, uh, because obviously someone's out here killing black women, let's be real, black women, like it's going out of style. The police also started to take notice, thank God, and started to piece together the murders and the fact that they may be related. They were taking these cases so serious, you guys, that they were actually documenting the DNA they found, keeping it, storing it safely, to compare later. <laughs> Which is great because, yeah, we kind of know in the early 2000s, DNA evidence was becoming more prominent. It was getting more like, okay, we're familiar with this thing. Let's do this. So in 2003, the Michigan police were able to say, hey, all this DNA from all these different crime scenes are matching to the same person. Now, remember, when Shelly got in trouble the first time, when he was like in 11th grade or whatever for the gun thing, he was a minor. So I don't even think they they uh, fingerprinted or DNA tested him. But also DNA wasn't really prominent back then. So they weren't really making that a part of the intake system when you go to jail. So yeah, his DNA isn't in the system. So they have nothing to compare it to at this point. But guess what else happened in 2003? <laughs> Brooks was ticketed three times you guys three different times by police for alcohol related incidents but he was never taken to jail or anything like that first of all how many of us would be thanking our lucky stars if we could just get a little citation <laughs> a little ticket for a crazy night out because i'm being a little bit belligerent on the streets after i had a good time in dc you know what i'm saying because i live near dc by the way you guys <laughs> i would love to just have like a little slap on the wrist instead of being taken into whole entire jail. But we can't all be Shelly Brooks in 2003, apparently. So after his little run-ins with the cops in 2003 and even the new information regarding the DNA, um, after all that started to come out, I think Shelly was like, hey, I cannot do this. They're on my tail, hot as fuck, let me sit down. And I think that's what he decided to do. For guess what? Three years. So for three years, Shelly took a hiatus. And in an interview with police later, he attempts to explain that hiatus, which I don't fucking buy, but we'll get into it. Three years later, on October 18th, 2005, the body of Melissa Totson was found in a vacant garage between Chalmers Street and Flanders Street. She was beaten to death as well, and the murder weapon this time was a cement block. She was only 38 years old when she died. You guys, a cement block is not light. And to like beat somebody with it is not an easy task. But also this man is 6'4", 250, okay? Big man, big guy. So I just know that she was fucking terrified. And finally, on June 5th, 2006, almost a full eight months after the death of Melissa Totson, the body of an unidentified woman was found at 2646 Harding. This time, the cause of death had been blunt force trauma to the head as well as strangulation. So 
it just seemed like in this situation he was escalating in his anger as maybe someone he had dealt with before. Which is kind of strange to say because later on he would claim that he doesn't even remember who that woman was. Hmm. He doesn't remember her identity at least. A month and a half later, on July 26, 2006, a 45-year-old woman was brutally attacked near Hickory and Lynnhurst. She was raped and beaten nearly to death, but thank God she was able to get help and she actually survived. She was able to tell police exactly what happened and exactly who did it. She said he was a tall, homeless man and he went by the name E sometimes. Police hit the streets and the ground running, obviously, found out who goes by E, and they arrested Shelly Andre Brooks for the rape and brutal assault of this woman. So remember how the DNA science in the 80s and the 90s was sh shit, literally like non-existent, baby, infantile, all that? Well, in 2003, four, it was obviously better. And once they were able to process Shelly, get his DNA, get his fingerprints, they found out that DNA results linked him to four of the murder cases in the area, okay? Four, you guys. And that was just like, kind of like off rip, like off the bat. So it was really, really crazy at that point for everyone, including, I guess, his family members. Uh, when the news broke, Brooke's brother-in-law was quoted to say that it wasn't possible and that Shelly would never do anything this fucking terrible, which literally everyone says that. It was so unbelievable to Brooks's mother that she ended up in the hospital from all the stress and anxiety. Which I could say, yeah, it's like, you know, oh, my baby. How could my baby be a murderer and a killer? But also, like, mm, these women, they were kind of in, like, my age range, kind of in my predicament. Um, I think, honestly, it just got to her that maybe her son was trying to kill women that were like her because the media did run with that they were really pushing like oh he was killing his mother over and over and stuff like that so it could definitely take a toll on a woman's mental health and physical health so all seven women that were killed um by shelly brooks that we know of were allegedly prostitutes and they all had a history of drug use so to get their attention, you know, to get them to, I guess, do what he wanted them to do. He would say, hey, do you want to have sex? I will pay you this money or I will give you these drugs. And they would oftentimes say yes. And then he would go, they would do the sex act and he would find a way to get angry with them. He would find a way to get angry with them, whether it's talking about the compensation, compensation for the sex acts or whatever it was. And then he would beat them. Some he raped. Some he just attacked because they didn't say something, they said something that he didn't like. But either way, all the bodies of the women were found in the same condition. They would be found with their clothes draped or thrown over their nude bodies. Um, their legs would be left in a wide open or quote spread eagle position, which literally just makes me want to fucking vomit because of that visual it gives me. And they all suffered severe head trauma inflicted with an array of weapons. So weapons like a brick, a cement block, a wooden leg to a table, and even a garage door handle. A little look into his psychology, like his the psyche of this man, because since I, it's, it's kind of hard for me to form my own opinions, 
um, just about why he is the way that he is and stuff like that because there's not much known about his childhood. I read something that a psychiatrist in California wrote. Her name is Mohan Nair. And I think she like talked to him a couple times and stuff, but this is what she had to say about Shelly and his murders. The crimes themselves seem to indicate a more disorganized type than many of the more famous serial killers. He seemed to bring his victims to a secluded area, kill them, and then leave them there, not making a great effort at hiding the bodies. Most were found by passerby or folks who located them without having a search, without having to search a great deal. One of the hallmarks of the disorganized killer is that he does not create separate scenes for the initial contact, attack, and body disposal. In Brooks's case, he would appear this held, it would appear this held true since he undoubtedly led them to the vacant buildings, killed them, and left them there. He also did not appear to take any of the stereotypical trophies that are associated with more organized serial killers who take jewelry, body parts, and other mementos with them so they can relive the thrill of the kill again and again. Brooks seems to merely become enraged, attacked, and then left them there. As we see from the information released from his confession, he would get angry at these women for various reasons because they refused his advances or he felt they were trying to cheat him. And he was attacked. He would attack, I'm sorry. This would also explain why others do not believe him capable of doing such horrific acts. If there is no triggering event, Shelley Brooks is probably a mild-mannered and quiet man, but when provoked, he quickly becomes belligerent. This also would not have been something he would have done with what he viewed as a stronger person, either another male or a confident female. I am not sure if the conclusion that he was attacking these women because they reminded him of the mother who abandoned him is a valid enough reason to explain his murders. To me, it seems more likely that these are women he viewed as weak enough and lowly enough that he could approach without fear of rejection. They were prostitutes and also described as the type who begged for cigarettes. This means they probably would not turn down any opportunity for a few dollars. Police also said that Brooks was proud of the fact that he had survived on the streets for as long as he did. It probably was a point of pride, however misplaced, that he was able to handle being homeless for almost a decade. Something many of us could never handle for more than a few days or weeks at the most. Preach sis, cause me, I would be fucking no good. This is a man who's self-esteem and abilities to interact with the world around him were severely limited. He could not work with anyone and probably felt that everyone looked down at him for being homeless, no matter how successful he believed himself. And when one of these women, whom he considered even lower than himself, would try to either condemn him or take advantage of him, he would lash out with vicious anger. So I kind of, I definitely agree with that. I definitely um, agree with that statement i've come across men that come off very mild-mannered very like you know oh it's all cool bro and then as soon as something they didn't authorize happens it's just it's hell it's hell on earth and they are the devil himself so yeah i've definitely seen that i definitely agree with that and yeah so go miss go miss thang so naturally since the police have brooks in custody they decided to question him. It's kind of already set in stone that he attacked the other woman that, thank God, survived. But they're starting to talk to him about the other crimes and the other murders that have been happening over the past five years. So when they start interrogating Brooks, they presented him with the DNA evidence and basically told him, like, look, hey, 
we have you red-handed and nailed to the cross, sir. Let's just, let's not play this game with each other. <laughs> Investigator Mike Carlisle said that Brooks never showed remorse. He didn't cry, he didn't yell, get extremely upset about the situation he was in, nothing. And eventually, Shelly would confess to all seven murders. Okay, so this is according to the statements that were presented by police. Two prosecutors signed off by Shelly himself. So according to Shelly, he propositioned Sandra Davis. Sandra Davis was his first confirmed murder victim. So he propositioned Sandra Davis for sex in exchange for money and that she agreed and they went into the abandoned building on St. Paul. He said that at some point during this business exchange, uh, he became angry with her and wanted his money back, which I'm pretty sure like those services are not refundable, Shelly. Okay. You can't just get your money back because you nutted too quickly. It's just not, it's not how that works. He said that when she tried to leave, he hit her in the head over and over until she collapsed and then dragged her into the closet. I'm not exactly how sure, like, I'm not exactly sure how long her body was in the building before it was found, but it was definitely described as being decomposed um, at that point. Pamela Greer, he really didn't say anything about, but he did confess to it. Uh, Marion Woods Daniels was apparently trying to run off with the money after the sex act, which is like, the sex act is over. Can't I go? Like, aren't I supposed to leave? But apparently that upset him and so he killed her. Rhonda Miles, he said, um, he didn't really say much about either, actually. But her DNA, or his DNA, I'm sorry, was found inside of Rhonda. So, had him dead rights. Thelma Johnson, he said he, quote, hit her in the head a couple times. Just straight like that. So we know Brooks took a three-year break, and that's what we've been able to put together from only the information we can prove, okay? This isn't, I'm not saying this is like a definitive thing, but this is what could be proven. And to account for this like time, this missing time, he said that he'd gotten a girlfriend that he actually moved in with. So he didn't really have like the urge or necessarily the time to go out and kill. Which I'm like, who was really getting in a relationship with this man? He wasn't an ugly man when he was younger. It's not to say that he was ugly. It was just that, I don't know. I'm being judgmental. But I can judge him because he's a killer, okay? Melissa Totson, he said he hit her with a cement block. And then he cut his hand on the block. And then went through her purse to look for money. So, I'm just assuming there was blood and his evidence everywhere on that one. And then when it came to the Jane Doe, he said he wanted to get his money back from her, so he choked her to death. By the way, and this is something that's just mind boggles me, he killed this poor young lady literal feet away from the house he grew up in, his grandmother's house. Feet away, I think it was like 1,000 feet, literally. Like a neighbor even reported hearing screaming in the middle of the night one night, so... I'm like, yeah, he just, at some point, he just wasn't giving a fuck. So with these confession, with this confession, the signed, sealed confession, they charged Shelly Brooks with the murder of Pamela Greer, and they also charged him with the murder of Rhonda Miles. And then he also is charged with the assault and the rape 
of this other woman that still survived. So Brooks was first tried for the murder of Pamela Greer. Even though he confessed to the crime, he pleaded not guilty at trial, which I think is just a fucking entire waste of everyone's time. It's a waste of the family's time. And he should just be a fucking man and own up to it. But naturally, because of the defense attorneys, attorneys and all that type of stuff, he's going to try to fight it. And yeah. Let's see how that goes. <laughs> So before the trial even starts, there were some issues. The prosecution wanted to include evidence from all seven cases to show the jury that this man is clearly a killer and makes a habit of it. But the trial court ruled that evidence from only six of the murders could be used during trial because one of the victims, Melissa Totson, had died from strangulation. So I guess it differed a little bit too much from his MO and they didn't want to, you know, confuse the jury. Now, the defense, they had an even ballsier move. They wanted to just get the whole confession thrown out. <laughs> I mean, the whole confession. They were trying to say that his confession was not voluntary. That Brooks was questioned every day for one month and sometimes for 12 hours at a time. They alleged that he was even threatened with violence before he finally confessed to the murders. But Brooks did sign a constitutional rights form before each interrogation and even though the investigators wrote the statements, Brooks signed off on them and made corrections when needed. So, yeah. Um, according to court documents, the only thing Brooks was contesting was the voluntariness of his confession, not the actual validity of it. And when it comes to the voluntariness, voluntariness, hideous word, voluntariness of a confession, the court cited People v. Cipriano, and it's basically just a case from 1988 that established what it means to give a confession voluntarily and what factors should be taken into consideration. So in the eyes of the court, and my eyes, Shelley voluntarily confessed. According to investigators and police, Brooks was treated fairly. They ate with him, never physically abused him, and then they also don't support the claims of how he was interrogated for all those many times and wasn't given an attorney like to me that's just where the co the questioning comes in because it's like one okay if he was questioned so many times interrogated so many times there should be that many constitutional rights forms to verify two if i'm getting interrogated for hours and hours and hours every single day i'm call i'm i'm asking for an attorney i'm asking for a lawyer that's just what is going to happen so you mean to tell me if he was being interrogated that hard that rough that he didn't ask for an attorney mm, i'm not sure but it doesn't really matter what i think because the judge said this is pish posh wish wash i'm throwing it out this motion i mean not the not the confession so during the trial more details about pamela's death came out they said that brooks did indeed have sex with her because his semen was found um in her body they said she took his money but asked for more money and then he got upset and when he got upset she started to run but he chased her and then he hit her multiple times in the head with the brick killing her. In his mind though he said that he thought she was still breathing when he dragged her into the bedroom of the vacant building and then covered her body up with the carpeting but we all know she was not still alive. He said he then took her money and then he left. 
After deliberating for only 10 hours on Wednesday, March 7, 2007, the jury found Shelly Andre Brooks guilty of first-degree murder of Pamela Greer, which in Michigan carries an automatic life without parole sentence. Investigator Mike Carlisle said, quote, it's a relief that we got the first conviction out of the way. This certainly clears the way for the rest of the trials coming up. It's a relief to the family of Pamela Greer, certainly, and we are going to continue to get that satisfaction for the rest of the families. It is a relief to have this predator off the streets. The following week, Brooks would go on trial for the murder of Rhonda Miles. So they're just knocking it out. Usually it takes like forever to pe for people to get tried and stuff, but maybe because he's a black man, let's just say that. They're eager to give him the damn chair, basically. So at this trial, he was found guilty again and sentenced to life without parole again. Hallelujah. He was also sentenced to 50 years for the attack on the surviving woman. So Shelly's never getting out. Never getting out. Thank the Lord. Good riddance. You know, that's all she wrote. Shelly Andre Brooks, now known by number 640812, is currently incarcerated at a corrections facility called the Michigan Reformatory. As of the publishing of this episode, he is 51 years old. And he looks a hot ass mess. <laughs> I'm going to uh, actually include a picture on the Instagram so you guys can check that out. But yeah, he looks kind of like deranged. A little too happy to be in fucking jail. But yeah. I also was able to find, um, like, I guess a woman was selling or is currently selling copies of a letter that like Shelly sent her in response to a letter that she had sent him. And this is from December 4th, 2012. I can barely read this shit, but I'm going to try and squint through it. So that's probably why I'm, it's going to take me a while to try to read it. So it starts, hello, I just received your Christmas card and meant to say it was very nice. That was very thoughtful of you. I am very grateful. And yes, I could always use a friend to talk to. I'm not that familiar with your name. Sad to say, it doesn't ring a bell. So if you could please let me know how you came about writing me, seeing that I've never been to Florida. <laughs> also, how do you look? And if so, could you send me some pictures and a phone number so I could talk to you? P.S. A close friend of mine would like to talk to someone too. His info is, out, is on the outside of the envelope. Thank you. Until later on, I will keep you in my praise. That's what he says. <laughs> praise. Sincerely, Shelly Brooks, number 640812. Also, can you contact me tomorrow on the internet? My website is www.jpay.com under Shelly Brooks. Again, the number 640812. It's quicker. So yeah, that's what he had to say. Um, or yeah, to that woman. She's selling copies of it, not even the original, copies for eight dollars. So if you're interested in that, the website will be in the episode description. And the last thing I was able to find in regards to this case is a Reddit description of the Jane Doe. 
Um, she has still not been identified, unfortunately. So someone put together a page to try to find her, trying to find out who she is and her family so she can get some closure. So I'm going to go ahead and read that. Okay. Let's see. Detroit Jane Doe's lifeless body was located in a vacant building on Harding Street, Detroit, Michigan, on June 5th, 2006. She was deceased for almost seven days. Shelly Brooks, a serial killer who murdered women from 2001 to 2006 on Detroit's east side, confessed to her murder, but was unable to identify her. However, she accordingly was a known prostitute on the east side of Detroit and the Indian Village area. Detroit Jane Doe is female, African-American, and estimated to be around 20 to 30 years old at the time of her death. She was of short stature, around 60 to 63 inches. She was found wearing a red shirt, reading Walter R. Mabry, ex-secretary treasurer, Nike tennis shoes, a white bra, quote, no excuses brand, size 9 to 10 blue jeans, and a winter weight short jacket with navy blue, white trim, and nautical flags. Her toenails are painted red. Detroit Jane Doe boasts many identifiable physical characteristics. She was missing her front right tooth, which I guess is called a maxillary central incisor because they included that fact in here, which would have been very noticeable to those who knew her. She also had a distinct feature on her skull, on her skull that may be identifiable with anti-mortem radiographs. So basically, yeah, that was the description of her that they have listed. Um, if that rings a bell to you at all, please feel free to DM me so I can get the information to the right person. If you're interested in the Reddit article or the Reddit page that I found this on, that will be posted in the show notes below as well. One last thing about this case, you guys. Um, I know I always include pictures and of the victims and just as much information as I can. But when I tell you I spent hours and hours and hours just looking for pictures of these victims, I could not find anything. And I know this was back when social media wasn't really prevalent, but I mean, I can't find any obituaries, any death records, any birth records, any um, uh, rest in peace pages on Facebook, family members. I cannot find anything, you guys. So that was probably the first, first time I've ever had an issue like this and it freaked me the fuck out. So if you guys are able to find anything, <laughs> please let me know. I would love to know what these women look like, what their families were like or are like. They had children, things of that nature. I wasn't even able to find that. So yeah, that kind of fuck with me because I like to humanize them. It's easy to talk about people's last minutes and forget that they're actually people, you know? So yeah, just thought I'd share that with you guys. <laughs> but yeah, you guys, so that is the case for today, the episode for today. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for being so faithfully um, by my side because I have been all over the fucking place, but that will come to an end. <laughs> so, yep. If you have any comments about this case, any questions about this case, or any concerns about this case, feel free to DM me on our Instagram at Black True Crime Podcast. Please feel free to share this podcast with your family, friends, neighbors, coworkers, dogs, everyone. And if you have any suggested cases or disappearances or unsolved cases that you want me to cover, DM me and let me know. 
I love you guys. Thank you so much. I hope you had an amazing time here at Black True Crime. And I will see you guys later. You have a right to kill me. I have a right to do that. But you have no right to judge me.